word that you've given us. Father, your word um, is life and it's truth. And sometimes it's hard for us to connect the dots and, and, and see exactly how it applies to our lives. And um, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that for us um, in your word. Actually, in this book, the book of John later on, Holy Spirit, you referred to as the teacher. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach our hearts, your truths, and how they apply to our lives. Um, because we know that being a Christian is about transformation, not just education. So Holy Spirit, we give this time over to you. Give us an ability to hopefully leave anxieties and worries and distractions. Hopefully we can set that aside for right now and just focus on a time with you. So God, we thank you for this time. We offer it to you. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 8 is where we're going to be. We're working our way through the book of John. This is an interesting passage. Um, And let's start with this. Something everybody uh, should remember. I'm pretty sure that everybody probably remembers their first speeding ticket. First speeding ticket. Uh, where Where you were, when it happened... What was going on? Um, I remember my first speeding ticket, believe it or not, my first speeding ticket was on my way to church to teach Sunday school. That was my first one. And so I was uh, heading down, you know, for church, running late. And, um, you know, heading down, and church was, was kind of far. It was about a 45-minute ride, so it was a good ride. And uh, I was heading down, and there's kind of this hill where it kind of drops. It was on Route 2 and kind of drops down. Uh, under this bridge, and I did not see, you know, the cop at all over there. And so, and it's crazy, you know, when you're running late, and you're speeding, you know you're breaking the law, and then the prayers creep in, oh God, help me to get there on time, you know, and help me not to get caught. So, going down, sure enough, there goes the sirens, and then you just get that feeling, you know, where you're st- you just drop, like, oh. but then it's your first one. So that kind of freaks you out, like, oh, gosh, and then you start to connect the dots, you know, as like you're pulling over to the right-hand side, you're like, oh my gosh, it's happening right now, this is my first one, I'm on my way to church, like, what am I doing, you know, I've got to teach Sunday school, like, what's going on right now, Um, and so uh, I remember that experience um, really well, and probably you remember your first tickets probably really well, too, I don't know, I just said tickets, maybe you only have one, you know, I don't know, Um, but the idea is we don't want to get a lot of them, right? Uh, but as I think about like the law and tickets, um, right, the idea of the speed limit law, the idea of you know, no texting while driving, um, the idea of uh, like noise ordinances and different laws that are in place, the idea is that the people making the laws, so we'll say the state, we'll say the government, Right? The idea is that they're trying to create laws that help to protect us and make society better and safer. Now, I understand, of course, that the type of laws that they choose to uh, pass and enforce, well, that's not, how's that going to make things safer and how's that make it better? I get it. We could definitely debate all of that. But I think probably the general consensus is that the laws are there to help make things safer. Make things better. 
But what happens is that when there's a lot of laws, and sometimes people feel like some of their freedoms are being like infringed upon, uh, a couple things happen. One is like a dislike who, who's bringing that law their way. And then two, what you start to do is you start to develop a bunch of people who are really skilled at obeying the law when the law is looking. And when the law is not there and the law is not looking, <laughs> hey, free reign. And so you start to develop a bunch of people that um, get really good at breaking uh, any type of law, really skilled at it. In fact, some people see it as a challenge. So now they can figure out how to drive by the officer while being on the phone, and man, they didn't even see me. You know, and then they're on there. Um, you know, or eating, you know, while they're doing it, or whatever it is. Or figuring out, yeah, I can speed down this road, but I definitely can't go speeding down that road because I know, you know, that one's covered. So we, like, we get into this mindset where we start to look at, like, um, only if I get caught, then I was breaking a rule or a law. There's danger in that. Because that can graduate into subconsciously staying there and thinking, well, I never got caught for this, so I must never have done it. And that could be really scary. That could be really scary. Um, the, uh, what's going on in our Bibles this morning is that there was a culture of like the religious leaders where following the rules was numero uno most important. Follow the rules, follow the rules. Make sure you do all that the rules say. Um, but the problem is that there's a spirit behind the rule that's more important. There's a spirit behind the rule that's more important. And that, like, you know, the speeding rule and the texting rule and whatever, all these other rules, right? The spirit behind it, I think, is good. We want it to be a safe place. People want to recognize, okay, like, I could put myself in danger. I could put somebody else in danger. I can't account for everything everybody else is going to do, but hopefully I can at least try and, you know, watch what I'm doing myself and hopefully make things safer. It's a good thing. Imagine if everybody just went around thinking like that. You wouldn't even have to have speeding laws. You wouldn't even have to have other types of laws because people already have the mindset that they're just trying to contribute in a right and safe way to society. Wouldn't that be an awesome society to grow up in? That's awesome because that's a whole bunch of people that buy into and now understand the spirit behind the law that's being made and given. Once people believe that and understand that, you don't even really need half the laws in the first place. And you won't spend a lot of time enforcing it because most people will buy in. In our passage this morning, they were super rule and law focused. So much so that they missed the heart of it, the spirit of it. Which when we're talking Christianity and we're talking God, that's a really big deal. Because in case people don't know, the Lord is much more for grace and mercy and truth than he is for a stickler for heavy, heartless laws. He's much more a fan of mercy, grace, compassion. Now, truth will have its day, for sure. But at the same time, 
He wants to make sure rules and things he has said and set into motion, especially the religious leaders, that they understand the heart behind the law because if somebody just says, listen, uh, you can't drink, uh, you can't do this, uh, you can't do that, you can't do this, and then people just see Christianity as just like a thing of rules to follow. Anybody ever heard that one before? That's usually how Christianity and religion gets its rap. What can I do? What can I not do? And I hope you can see that that's so secondary. It's the heart and the purpose behind the spirit, the intent behind those rules and laws of what's happening. I never want my sons, right? This is great for parents. We never want our sons and our kids to just know us as this is the rule, this is the rule, this is the rule, follow that rule, you get rewarded. That's going to be a pretty dangerous home and really going to kind of mess up our kids. Because if it just stays really rigid like that, they'll never really see any sort of heart or compassion or grace really around it or in it. See, the idea in disciplining children and setting the rules is hopefully when they become bigger people, they'll actually want to live and behave in the way that we've been trying to instill in them because they see the value in it. Not because we controlled them for 18 years to do what we said when they were looking. Because God knows when we're not looking, they ain't doing that. (laughs) Right? And that's like how we are definitely as people. And if we can somehow see past, um, you know, the rules, the regulations... And really the enemy who would love to highlight that stuff where he just wants to highlight God as this restrictive God who doesn't allow for nonsensical reasons. If we can get past that and see past that stuff into the heart and who this God is who's saying these things, it's going to make a lot more sense. It's going to make a lot more sense. And the religious leaders in the day and age of what we're about to read about They really had no clue how to carry out the law and the spirit behind it. They just cared about, are you doing it? And if you could check off enough boxes and do it really well, especially when people were looking, then you were good. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, you guys are the leaders and you're totally messing this up. This is not right. And he got kind of aggressive at times about it. Turning over tables, calling them names. I guess there is a place for that stuff at some point in time. But boy, we better know when. And hopefully it's not fueled by anger. So let's see what happened. Let's see what happened. Now, it says, probably there's a notation in your Bible here. It says the earliest, in my Bible it says this, your Bible might have something like a star or like parentheses or something. It says the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have... (coughs) John 7.53 through 8.11. And your Bible probably has something to that effect in there. Some kind of notation, some kind of something. And I just want to address this real quick. Not spend a lot of time on it, but I just want you to know and be aware of what's going on here and why this says that. Because it's important to know what we're reading and where it came from. Um, The passage we're going to read and study this morning is really up for debate as far as where it even goes in the Bible. It's even up for debate in some circles, like, did this even happen? So the question is why? How come? 
Well, let me just share with you um, a couple of things. And I tried to write down just really some quick highlights, and then we'll get into the passage. But I think there's value in knowing what we're reading, where it's coming from, right? I mean, we want to be educated Christians as much as we can. You know, and be able to worship Him with our mind. Understand who He is and the kind of things that He said in the motion and how He speaks to us. And what is this book that we're reading that's thousands of years old? How did we get this thing? Where did these like, words and stories come from? It's important to know these things. Um, so a couple highlights. One, so I mentioned already, this story is um, actually missing from a bunch of manuscripts. So let me lay this out real quick. So the way that we have the Bible, it was originally all in Greek on manuscripts. And what happened is, you had all these, we'll call them copiers, or copyists, and they would just write down. There was an original manuscripts and, and writings with first-hand account information. And you have these other people come along and they just keep writing it down, writing it down. In different forms. There's like four different forms you can find these manuscripts in. And so people just write them down, write them down, write them down, write them down. And so eventually you get hundreds, then thousands of all these manuscripts that are handwritten down. Now we possess none of the original first-hand account manuscripts. None. There are no libraries, no archaeological museums, anywhere. What we have are manuscripts. And it, I don't know. It's probably, honestly, kind of a good thing we don't have the originals because knowing us as humans, we'd probably set them up and worship them somewhere. We'd get weird about it. we just do with that stuff. we get weird. I, I don't know. we just do that. So you have all these manuscripts. They're all handwritten, hundreds and thousands of them. And different parts of the Bible have different amounts. The New Testament alone, we'll just talk about that because that's where we are. The New Testament alone has a lot of manuscripts. And so what happened is you have copier A, copier B. They copied the book of John. Copier B did the book of John. Copier C did the book of John. And so you can get into difficulty if copier A has the book of John, copier B has the book of John, and copier A doesn't have this account, but copier B does. Then you're like, oh, geez, well, that's kind of weird. What's the deal on that? It becomes a little bit easier if you have 500 agreeing with copy A and then maybe only like three with like copy B. Then it's like, oh, well, then the question is like, well, what happened? You know, and one of these other copiers doing it, what was going on? And so that's why in your Bible it has that it's not written in a lot of the earlier uh, manuscripts. Some of them have it, some of them don't. And in the manuscripts that do have it, it's in a different position than where it's at currently in our Bibles. Happening right here at the beginning of chapter 8. So, um, it's interesting. And, and we don't even have the first printed Bible until like 1516 by a guy, William Tyndale. You've probably heard of Tyndale. Tyndale Publishing and does a lot of Bibles and books and all that. Like, so that's, you know, where it started from. Um, and so let me just give you a couple of highlights. Um, just in addition to this. Um, I wanted to compare it to other historical documents just so you get an idea of where the Bible is at compared to other historical documents too. So, I told you we don't have any more of the originals. I told you that manuscripts come in four different forms. Um, Julius Caesar, the Gothic Wars. Everybody's read that, right? Yeah, I'm sure you do in your spare time. Um, we got ten manuscripts of that. I mean, that's a Caesar. That's Julius Caesar. Kind of an important guy. We have ten manuscripts of his Gothic Wars. 
which is actually pretty interesting. I, I looked real quick. I didn't read a lot. I just, you know. um, Luigi's uh, Roman illustrations. We've got 20 manuscripts of those, another pretty significant human do- uh, historical document. We have Tacitus, uh, histories and annals, two manuscripts of those. Eight manuscripts of, I can't even say the guy's name. But one that we probably all know, the Iliad and the Odyssey. It's kind of popular, right, famous, right? Greek mythology, talking about like the Trojan War um, and um, really that whole kind of era and time. And probably I've seen it in school, and a lot of it's pretty interesting. Um, there is in total about 2,000 manuscripts on those. So a good chunk, good chunk. For the New Testament, there's over 5,800 just in the New Testament of manuscripts as far as where we're getting information from. And the crazy thing is that even though you have all these copiers in writing, you can, it's evidence and you can see that not everybody copied the exact same thing. So words are here and words are there. Some are left out. Some have more words. But not through any of them, which is pretty amazing, not through any of them are there like any doctrinal differences. Like Jesus is not the Son of God. He's not God incarnate. He didn't come... You know, some other guy came to save sins. Nothing doctrinally changed, which is amazing to me. I can have that many copiers over 1,500 years or so, because like I said, we get a printed Bible. So 1,500s. So for all that time, all these copiers, I mean, it all adds up. It's crazy. It's almost like there's a God who miraculously kept his word intact. It's crazy. It's amazing, right? It's pretty, that's very sarcastic, yes. Yeah. So it's interesting. So, but maybe you're not totally sold or, or maybe you want to read more about it. Man, like get into it and read that stuff. It's pretty cool to see. Um, biblical history, they call it textual criticism. is kind of like the, the seminary phrase. But looking at this stuff, it's very interesting. And honestly, if, uh, you know, if you've got time for it and interest for it, what it really does at the end of the day, it just raises your faith level even more. It's like, wow, this is amazing. It's pretty amazing. We're really not just a bunch of ignorant Christians getting together reading some thousands-year-old book that some other people wrote. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool stuff. Okay, so now, back to the story, okay? And then we'll spend a real long time here, and then we're going to take communion together. (coughs) So let's take a look. So the story, does it go here? I don't know. Probably not. Did it happen? Maybe. Um, But the principles in the story, all throughout the New Testament. So I totally think it's, it's worth our time to discuss it and look at it. So let's check it out. The title of the message is Grace Poured Out. I love that picture. It's a good picture, right? It's not mine. I you know, got it from some, somebody else, but um, legally. But uh, Grace, that's an awesome picture. Just that's how grace just showers on people's lives. Some people think it's just like, oh, you're lucky if you catch a break. In the kingdom? I don't know about that. We just sang that song, Oceans. Like, that's the whole deal. All right, here we go. Um, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. He's been there. Um, he's been talking with them. Where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So when he would teach, he would sit down. It's kind of different than what we do, huh? Although, maybe I should sit down one Sunday, and everybody else stand, and then... I would just say, it's a biblical Sunday today, and I'll just do that. That'd be kind of neat. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. 
So they made her stand before the group. Now it's interesting. Call it an adultery. <coughs> um, were they actually engaged in the act at that moment and dragged her out? Uh, as we're going to read, probably not. Um, is it some relationship that they heard through hearsay that they had like good evidence of? Uh, who knows? Um, time span and extreme detail are lacking here. So just that's kind of a flag for what's about to happen here. Um, so just keep that in mind. So it says she was called an adultery. How details? Not a lot there. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So it says, verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So you have this woman there, caught, maybe somehow, who not a lot of info here. It doesn't sound real reliable because you can tell in verse 6 they're just using this as a way to try and trap, not as a way to help establish what's right. That's a big problem right there. Whenever we start to use other things for our own, especially laws and things, for our own private gain, there's a problem. So she's caught in the act. says, but the law commands us to stone such women. Now, what is this about? Where's that coming from? So if you have time later this week, and you can read Leviticus 20.10, Deuteronomy 22.22. And sure enough, um, if there was adultery, um, it did require stoning, but it wasn't like this quick, um, you're in adultery, yes, okay, we stone you. There was more to it than that. It was not supposed to be that harsh and that heartless. There was a spirit behind the law, and Jesus, at this point, is going to try and make sure that they get it, because obviously they don't. And another big part of the law was that both parties are supposed to come forward, the man and the woman. And where's the dude? Ha, he's not there, con- conveniently enough. Right? So the whole thing is just, you could tell it's not right. There's no details. She's just there. He's not there. And they're just using it as a way to trap him. Because if he says, uh, don't, don't kill her, then like he's going against Moses, who everybody holds dear. That's their patriarch. But then he says, yes, we should. We should stone her. At this point in time, Israel does not possess the ability to like carry out capital punishment. Only the Romans can. So he's going to get pinched by them if he does that. So they're trying to trip, trick him. So yes, you got a problem. No, you got a problem. But Jesus is pretty good at being tricked, so let's see what happens. It says, But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And man, there is all kinds of speculations out there. What was he writing? What was he writing, you know, on the ground? And, I don't know, anybody's most creative guess is as good as mine. It could be the Ten Commandments. It could be the law. It could Anything. Who knows? It's not specific. It's not specific. But anyways, he's drawn, maybe he's drawn stick figures. I don't know. It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And so, it's a pretty interesting answer. He didn't say yes, he didn't say no. Well, if you got no sin, go ahead, throw a rock. And it says again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, this is not, I hope everybody understands too, this is not a policy for social justice. Like, only judges and policemen who have never sinned or broken a law, they're the only ones that can carry out a law. That's not what's being said here. Like, you can only be a judge if you've never sinned, never did anything wrong. You can only execute some kind of judgment on breaking a law if you've never done it yourself. That's, like, not the point of what's going on here. Um, Because if that were the case, we got a whole bunch of parents in the room that could never, ever discipline our kids because we totally screwed it up. Right? That's not the case. That's not what we're trying to point to here. He's trying to get behind the letter of the law and the spirit of it. So he says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. So Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So it's interesting. Nobody throws anything, which is interesting to me. Um, And then they all leave, and he's left with her. And uh, he says, well, I don't condemn you either. And he says, but go and make sure you leave that life of sin. He's saying, listen, don't go and stop having an affair and doing what's not right because you're afraid of getting stoned. Leave that stuff because you have just encountered God. You've just experienced His grace. And there's no reason to go back to that. Don't be afraid of just the consequence of maybe being caught next time and for the stoning. Because how many people know I don't care how severe a consequence is, that's not going to change behavior and deter a heart from doing what it really wants to do. You could make a consequence so severe, if somebody really wants to do it, they will figure out a way to do it. We will figure out a way if we want to do it. No doubt about it. We might be maybe a little bit, you know, oh, but this might happen, you know, and but even that's a bad situation for the Christian to be in to start weighing what might happen and what might not happen if I do it. We all agree that that's not a place where we want to stay, right? What might happen if I do it? What might not happen if I don't? Well, then if I do do it, I know so-and-so, and they're pretty lenient. And, so do, and then we start to calculate. Some of us are really good at that, unfortunately. But we're not called to be there and do all that calculation type stuff. We're supposed to press after, after righteousness. And Jesus did an awesome job here combining righteousness with justice to really bring forth just a gracious spirit in the moment. Because they're just saying, listen, you can't do this. You should be stones, what we should do. And you know what? Honestly, maybe in a court of law, they probably could have made a really good case and be right. 
But I'm thinking that we also know being right is now what it's all about. Bringing life to a situation is what it's all about. And it does not mean that truth does not exist and that it's not important, because it is. But it does mean that hopefully we're the type of people who we're doing everything we can to find a way to channel grace and mercy and help them to see what they're doing is just not headed towards life. It's headed towards destruction. It's headed towards bondage. Towards nothing good. And maybe they're just so stuck in it they can't see it. And so now God has put us in and around their lives to help them see. So we're called to do. And it's really encouraging to know that our God treats us like that. Our Father treats us like that. Where he's looking to pour out grace. Pour it out upon us. Not as a license to just do whatever we want, however we want. But in a way that acknowledges him and that is repentful when truth comes on the scene. Man, there's plenty. Plenty of grace for a repentant and humble heart after him. And when we get a picture of that and we see that and that grabs a hold of our hearts, that's the stuff that we sing about that changes our life. And then you get songs like Amazing Grace. Right? Because it is amazing. It's like, whoa. And we start to see the depths of who we are and what we're prone to do. And we don't even understand it half the time and God always knows, and he always sees, and he's never surprised. And we're like, man, Lord, I can't believe you love us in that way. And through that, and like that. And knowing I was even going to go down this track and like have to repent of this right now. Thank you, Father. It's an amazing thing. So grace just pours out upon us. It's awesome stuff. Here's the danger that I see. And there's a thing that I wrote down in this passage when I think really helps us. And let me just read it, and I, I guess, uh, I hope hopefully to translate it. It says, people who only respond to end result circumstances. Here, let me try and explain what that means. People who only respond to end result circumstances. Uh, a kick in the pants or the school of hard knocks. Some people only respond that way. End result circumstances, when they just got kicked in the pants, or the school of hard knocks, and it's just like, they just hit a wall somewhere, and it's like, okay, now you have my attention. Some people just only respond that way. And there's dangers in that. God can certainly turn and and work with that and, and, and bring value out of it, because he's God and he's unbelievable and he's capable of anything. He's an expert at turning a mess into a message. I mean, that's just that's what he does. But people who only respond to stuff like that are in a problem because we are called to live a life in response to the Holy Spirit, not in response to something that might smack us in the face. 
See, we're called to be in relationship with God, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. One of the most valuable things that we can do is to communicate with the God of the universe. That's where the heart of Christianity is, is communicating with him and sharing our hearts with him and then him, Holy Spirit, speaking to us. It's a glorious relationship. It's how we learn about God. It's how we learn like what his word says. That's one of the most priceless things that we have as human beings. Like animals don't get this. You know what I mean? Like other creations don't get this. We get to have an intimate relationship with God whenever we want. 24-7. It's an amazing privilege. And what happens is we're called to live this life in the spirit to where we can actually hear his voice and we know it's him and it's not us. We're called to be at this place. And we're like, yeah, this is from God or, or no, this is not from God. I'm just using a situation uh, but it's not, you know, and so sometimes we get like, is this from God? Is this not from God? I don't really know. God, I, I want to hear your voice better. I'm not sure if this is your will in this. I just want to do this over here. Maybe I'm just using you to get that. Lord, help me to know it better. Right, so we're called to be. And hopefully that's part of our prayer life. And then the growing, mature Christian, we get to a place where I know that's the voice of God. I just, I know he's speaking to my heart right now. I know this is it. And I hope, I hope and pray that that's like where we desire to be. Because that's it. When we can just be in fellowship and in communion with our Father, we can just recognize Holy Spirit talking to us. That's who we're called to be. But what happens if we get into that like mindset of, man, I only pay attention if something just smacks me right in the face, we're missing like the whole relationship part. Because he's speaking to our hearts before we get smacked in the head later. He'll bring the smack and he'll bring the kick, but it's like he doesn't want to. We don't have to do the 40-year-in-the-desert thing. We could just go the straight route, which was like a 12-day trip. (laughs) But it took 40 years. It's one of the most valuable things that we possess is a relationship with our Father to where we can just hear Him and speak and just walk with Him. And then He starts to speak to us. Then He starts to speak to us about other people. He starts to speak to us about our lives. Because what we can do is we can substitute other things for the voice of God and call it the voice of God. We could substitute more research and more education. And the more well-informed we are, well, that must also be God because he always makes sense, and so that's the voice of God. That's not always the case. Because faith, many times, goes in the face of logic. But, we have to be able to, as Christians, be able to tell the difference between the two. Got to be able to tell the difference. Is this actually God's voice in a step of faith, or is just me just thinking something? It's really important to know that skill. So I wrote down some situations, right? Some things that matter. When is the last drink that I had too much? Wouldn't it be a shame to wait until now, like, we're drunk all the time and we're addicted and we can't get off of it? Like, then we realize there's a problem. 
That's like too long, right? That's called getting kicked in the pants and smacked in the head and being like, hello, because even in the middle of that, some people still don't have a problem. But there's a problem, right? There's a problem. And the, God, for the Christian, is trying to speak to the heart all along the way. There's a problem, there's a problem. Get this thing in line. You're created for more than that. You don't have to go there. You don't have to be locked into that anymore. Your destiny is greater than that right now. You don't even have to handle your problems like that anymore. It used to get handled that way, but we don't have to anymore. Let me show you a better way. Right, so what he's doing, he's speaking. But if we're not in communion with him, we never hear any of that, and we'll just see the end term to where it's like, now we're at the end of it, and we're getting kicked in the pants, and now everything really looks hopeless. We don't have to go that way. So we want to develop that skill set of, yeah, I just, you know, maybe I should just stop doing that now. And then I thought about even like as far as eating goes. Hey, you know what? I just ate too much. Like that was just too much. I just need to stop eating now. I just need to stop. Right? Because you can get kicked in the face and have that handed to you later. It's like, well, gee, I'm noticing every single time I'm stressed out and I have a problem, I, I just run to the snack cabinet. And it just makes me like, feel better for whatever reason. It's not good stuff. It's not good stuff. He's looking to speak to our hearts along the way. Hopefully we're in such communion with him that even as maybe we're headed down that track, Holy Spirit comes in there and says, ah, notice how you're feeling when you get involved in that and then you have that. That's not good. I want to bring that to you. Trust me for that. You're going to something else to gain comfort. You'll find comfort in me, I promise. Like, Holy Spirit wants to speak these things to our hearts. Maybe he'll use, he will. He'll use other people as well, but a lot of times they're not really responsive to other people, especially with things that are sensitive to us. So hopefully we're in relationship with Holy Spirit and we can hear him when he's saying these things. And let's not wait till it gets really severe and like another problem later on. You know? Why wait for that stuff? Did I spend too much on Christmas? Why wait till the credit card bill is like maxed out at $7,000 at Christmas? Let's be praying our way before Christmas even gets there. Father, I don't have a lot of money this year. I don't even really honestly know what we can do. But I want to honor you this Christmas and make sure that you're at the center of it and I don't want to take away from that. At the same time, there's kids here so I want to be able to enjoy that. I don't know if I know the line. Holy Spirit, help teach me the line. Don't pray that prayer on December 24th when you're just about to go out and go shopping. Come on, act like it matters. Act like it matters. Like we really want to honor him during that. Whatever it is. Because he wants to speak to our hearts on that. What are some other practical things? Try to write down these things. Am I working too much? It's good to provide and make money. And we need to but is work in an appropriate place. If it's work so much all the time, and man, we haven't even seen a quiet time in like two weeks, got to consider some things. It might come at the sake of money even. Absolutely. That's been painful ones in our family's life. Like when we've had to turn down work, you know, and what are we going to do this for? A Bible study time? Really? There's some wisdom in that. But you could also go too much on the other end too, right? Ha! I got Bible study every night of the week, so I can't get a job and I can't work. Like, that's no good either. 
Another big one, am I working out too much? Do I, t- do I care too much about like, health and like, my appearance? Because that's important, right? To consider you know, what we're eating, what we're bringing in, how we're taking care of the temple. But then some people like, can go too far. Like, why wait to like, we're totally addicted to how we look and all we can think about is how we look in a bathing suit. What, why? Holy Spirit's talking the whole way. Let's be in communion with Him on that. Lord, help me to see myself in the right place and in a balanced way. I know I'm created in your image. And if I'm about to start dieting and working out, help me to do it with your wisdom and with your mindset. Now with what's prevalent in the day and age. Because we'll get into trouble. Because there's no stop in this day and age. We just keep going with it. Am I using entertainment appropriately? It's another big one. Holy Spirit will be speaking to us. Like, are we using it appropriately? Does it take the place where we can just get comfort in it and be able to just retreat and be away? It's real easy to just use it that way. And I think entertainment can play a part, absolutely. I think it was even okay with the Lord to be entertained at times, but it's really easy to like just Make that thing be the goal. And that's just the only way I unplug is by being entertained. It's really easy for that stuff to happen. He's saying, be with me. Just shut it off and just be with me for a little bit. We'll put it in the right place. Peace is found in me. All right, do I respond too harshly when other people communicate with me? Right? Why do we have to wait until somebody tells us, man, you know, you're, you're just a really difficult person like to be around and live with and communicate with. Why does everybody have to tell us that? Like, why can't we be in Holy Spirit along the way and notice like, yeah, I'm just harsh with people for some reason. I'm not quick to give them the benefit of the doubt. My response is like not the nicest right away and it takes almost nothing to get me there. Right? We don't have to wait you know, for these things. We can be in relationship and the Holy Spirit will speak to us on these things and how to handle ourselves. That's the, one of the greatest gifts we have is to be in relationship with Him. And if our lives start to take the shape of, well, I'm only going to pay attention when things only get really crazy and bad and I'm at my wit's end, we miss that entire relationship aspect. It's really important stuff. So after this message, here's something I wrote down because I think it's important. It's incorrect and incomplete to summarize this passage now as give people a break and make sure you give them chances. Give people, so, you know, how'd the message go this morning? What'd we talk about? Well, you know, give people a break, give them chances. Kind of, but not really. I think it's important, yes, that we should probably, you know, give people a break, give them chances, um, be lenient with them. But that's not the whole story. That's not everything. Because what's going to happen is take a look here, right? Look at the very last line. Verse 11. It says, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. That's a big deal. Don't just give people chances and just let things happen. And if we're talking in relationship with God, He's saying, yeah, I'm just going to give you chances. Don't worry. Just hop back up on that horse. Like, just, 
you know, buck up, you know, let's just do this, you know, keep trying. Keep swinging, slugger. Not really. Not really. We're called to be persistent. But if repentance and that issue of S-I-N is never dealt with in there, we're totally missing the whole point. So God isn't like, yeah, I'll just give you a bunch of chances, so just keep trying. He was really specific. Leave that. Be done with that sin. There's no place for it. There's no place for it. You're created for more than that. Why do you want to be in a fair like with this thing going on right now? Just stop. Just stop. Maybe it's what you're used to. I'll give you the strength to get out of this thing. Just do whatever you can to get out of that situation. Just be done with it. Don't play with it anymore. Just be done. And he's serious about that stuff. And he didn't even just say it to this one person. I got a couple verses. I'm just on the next slide. Look at this. This is an important thing, the way he handled people. This projector's, yeah. So, a little bit better, kind of, sort of. And on this side, right? I don't want to discriminate. So, eh, kind of better. So it says, after Jesus found him in the temple, this is John 5, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. It's important stuff there. If you just healed a man so he could walk, hey, all right, go enjoy life. Hey, don't sin anymore. Get out of that lifestyle sin. Get out of that. You don't want it. It's no good. Again, Mark 2, 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. He said that before he even healed them. Because the sin issue is important. Really important. And the last one. It says, then he said to her, your sons, oh, it's your sons, your sins are forgiven. That was after she washed his feet with her hair and stuff. And they're like, what are you doing? You just wasted all this money. She's like, man, I'm going to worship extravagant. I'm just, and his thing, she didn't even ask for forgiveness, which is the crazy part. He goes, man, your sins are forgiven. You understand what worship is, right now. You get what's most important, and you are being extravagant about it. Just laying it all out there. So we're called to be with our worship, is be extravagant. Not calculate and sort of figure it out when and how much and what am I... Just be extravagant. Just be extravagant. And she didn't even ask. Your sins are forgiven. Done deal. His grace just pours out. When our hearts are in the right places, it just pours and showers us. And hopefully that just grabs a hold of us and just infects and influences all people around us. That grace just overflows. Because I like to say here, especially when, when I talk with uh, you know, people that are, we're talking about church and stuff like that. Because they're always like, well, you know, can I come to church? I don't know if I'll fit or, um, you know, they're doing all these different things. Or then a really popular one is I had a horrible week. I messed up so many things. I'm so stressed out. Um, and usually it's just a conversation of like crying and hurts are just hard, um, hearts are just hurting and it's just like really difficult. I just can't, I cannot come to church. I, I am a mess. And I, I can understand that. Like I, you know, I, I totally understand that. And the enemy loves to be like, yeah, you are a mess. You cannot go to that place today. They're happy and they're praising and, and that's good that that stuff is there, but that's the biggest lie in the world. Oh my, this is a hospital. It's a hospital. 
And yeah, there's going to be some people in the hospital that are happy to be in the hospital. But not everybody's going to be. Not everybody's going to be. Man, we got to come when we're like that broken and down and out. I can't, I don't want to talk to anybody. Okay, fine, then just come and don't talk to anybody. Just, man, just come and be there. Hopefully your heart is just at least open to hear what God might be trying to say. Hopefully that's the case. And maybe you can be guilty of singing like one, long, one, one line of a song. And if you can't do that, just stay on your knees in prayer. But he loves to just sell this stuff. Oh, you can't show up at church. You're a wreck. You're a mess. Or you've been just living like such and such. So I just like to tell him, like, yeah, our church is like, you know, we're not real. We don't try and compromise on the truth, you know, but Sunday mornings is pretty casual. You know, we do some food. You know, we hang out. But um, just come as you are. Done deal. Just come as you are. I said, I trust and I know um, that God will do some changes and you're not going to stay that way. Because that's the Christian life. You come as you are, but you better not stay that way. You better not. Things better not. Because the Holy Spirit is working, He's talking, He's convicting, He's changing, He's transforming. That's the whole purpose of the gospel. Is that we will not be the same people. So you come as you are. That's all good. But man, you better not be the same. I hope you respond. So when He says sin no more, and He says get out of that stuff, or He says repent, I hope we're doing it. So we're called to do. And the awesome thing is that there is grace there waiting for us. Waiting to shower us. And he's not going to rub our face in it and condemn us with it forever. No condemnation. Just like he said to the woman. So we're called to hopefully go and sin no more. Live in grace and hopefully reflect that grace, and hopefully we can also go to our Father in confidence before His throne, saying, Father, thank you for your grace that covers my life. It empowers me to live this Christian walk. Because I know there's things you're asking me to do that I don't even possess the power to do. (coughs) But you will empower me. You're going to empower me to do it. I don't know how I could ever live like that. How could I do that? How could I live that way? How could I do this? It's asking too much. His grace and powers. I don't know. Just does it. He makes us able. He makes us able. So let's close with the psalm and then, and then that'll be it. Psalm 24. If you got your Bibles. Psalm 24. Verses 3 through 4. says who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place excuse me he who has clean hands and a pure heart he who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place who can come before God who can be with him who could be in his presence who's going to hear from him and understand his voice and know who he is. Who's going to know when it's time to do this or do that or make a move here? Who's going to know these things? How's that someone going to be able to tell if it's his voice or just our own imaginations? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to an idol or by what is false. 
man, we're able to really determine who he is and see him for who he is when we're trying to just keep ourselves purely for him and have holiness in heart. We're going to be able to tell. We're going to be able to tell. And it's so encouraging to know that grace is just, man, it's like an ocean where it's just going to just be all over us. We can't get enough of it. It's a really encouraging thing. So now Christianity is not just like this, do all these rules and laws. It's, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to keep together everything I've created you for. Go this way, and I promise I'm going to help you through every step of the way. It's an awesome thing. Really encouraging thing. So these guys, you know, they, um, they messed up. They didn't get the heart of the law. The heart of who was giving this law and what he was really saying. Hopefully we'll, we can know and understand the heart of God because he makes it available to us. He will speak to our hearts what's going on and what we need to know. It's there. He's for us. And I hope that we become really skilled in hearing his voice. Because that's like the Christian life. That's the Christian walk. And it's so awesome what he did for this young woman, or older woman, I don't know, it doesn't say. But man, he just put in perspective righteousness, mercy, and grace. But at the same time, listen, go sin no more. Because if you keep sinning like this, it's going to find you out. And you're going to have to deal with it. And when you deal with it, you're going to be responsible for your own sin. I've created a way so you don't have to pay a price for that and deal with it. Take advantage. So let's see here. I don't even know if I did any of these, any these questions in here. What is the danger of strict rule enforcement that is harsh and heartless? A danger of strict rule enforcement that is harsh and heartless? Yeah, it creates people that only respond to, to consequences. It creates people that only respond to consequences. Hopefully we're not guilty of that. We only respond to consequences. And I never did it unless you caught me. <laughs> oh, man, that's bad news. What makes this text unique compared to other texts in the Bible? Um, it's not in a lot of the manuscripts. And so who knows if it even goes in that spot. For some Bible commentators, like, did it even happen? I don't know. Good chance it did. Probably doesn't go there. At the very least, the part of... <clears throat> Our Father being more concerned with grace being poured out than in maintaining the letter of the law, that's everywhere throughout the entire New Testament. What danger is there from graduating from the school of hard knocks? We miss the Holy Spirit along the way. Not everything has to be hard knocks and kicking the pants. I mean, it works. There's some effectiveness there but it doesn't have to go that way. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Don't stay that way, right? We come as we are, but don't stay that way because he's doing a good work. He's doing a real good work. So we've got a few minutes for communion. And um, so maybe we could just play Amazing Grace in the background real soft. goes pretty well with our message here. And we got the elements up here.
And so if you're choosing to take part and join with us, come on.